dismissed for junior church at this time. Good to see your smiling faces once again. Get your Bibles. Go to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. You know, I trust you had a good week. And uh, New Year's is coming up. Uh, next five weeks, we're going to be in the book of Jonah. Uh, the book of Jonah is a story of a man that is reluctant to share God's message with the Assyrians. It's a story of a man who tries to run from God. It's a story of a man who doesn't want to share God's message with a people that were considered depraved and unregenerate. A group of people that really weren't your, uh, people you really like to hang with. We like stories because oftentimes we look at stories like Jonah because uh, we try by looking at those stories, well, I don't want to be like Jonah, or uh, I don't want to be like Peter who denied Christ. I don't want to be like Moses who says, I can't speak. I, I look at these Bible stories and I think to myself, I don't want to be like these people. I don't want to be like them. The truth is, Jonah is a screw-up, and so is every one of us. A little background. Some scholars find it kind of hard to look at the book of Jonah, uh, especially the miraculous accounts of the book, let alone the story of a fish that swallows a prophet. However, I believe that the God who created the universe and spoken into existence has no, promise, has no problems accomplishing anything he wants to do or whatever he wishes to perform. See, I believe in a God of miracles. A lot of times people look at situations in Scripture, well, you know, and they try to explain it. Like, for example, let's look at the nation of Israel as they cross through the Red Sea. Well, how could God cause the waters to split in two and for a nation to walk through? How, how can I, and they want to logistically explain how that can happen, but how it doesn't really happen. If you don't believe in a God who spoke the universe into existence, who can't perform miracles, you might as well close the book and walk away. Because God does a lot of things throughout Scripture that the modern mind of man cannot explain. Like rising from the dead. Try to explain that one. And so if you look at the book of Jonah, it's not so far-fetched. However, for those logistics ex experts, there's a story actually told of a whaling ship off the coast of Australia that did was catching whales, and a man fell overboard and was swallowed alive by the whale. It's true. True documented story. They actually uh, caught the whale two days later, opened it up, and lo and behold, out comes the dude. You say, you're kidding. They said he was a little mentally unstable for a little bit. I'm thinking like, really? Really? Yeah, I can see that. His actually, his hands and face were bleached from gastric juices. So he was white, had blotched white skin. But after about four or five months, he came to his senses and told uh, this story. And the sailors documented it. If you read J. Sidlow Baxter's book called Explore the Bible, you read it in there, the, the, the documented efforts. But the biggest challenge of the book of Jonah, really, is that of the softening 
of the heart of Jonah. He's got a hardened heart because he hates the Assyrians with a passion. Is the book really literal? Well, Jesus said it was, and and Jesus uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, 39 41, said this. He answered, speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees of his day, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a whale or huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented of the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. So even Jesus Christ references the book of Jonah, quotes it, and if Jesus authorized it, guess what? I'm okay with what Jesus authorizes. I trust you are too. The book of Jonah is actually divided in about four chapters. I saw a lot of different outlines that I looked at, but I kind of like this one. First chapter, I won't go. Second chapter, okay, I'll go. Third chapter, here I am. Fourth chapter, I know I shouldn't have come. <laughs> if you read through Jonah, and you'll get a chance to do that, you'll, you'll see that. Charles Feinberg says this, The main message of the book is central, and its dominant theme is that of the Bible itself. God's love is ever seeking to save those who are rightly doomed to eternal punishment. God is always looking to save those who are lost. No matter how depraved, no matter how wretched, no matter how wicked, God is in the business of saving the lost. Jonah 1.1 says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai. At the very beginning of the story, there's a message from God. And God says to Jonah, I, I need you to do that. It should be always exciting to have a what I call a revelation from God, right? However, the message and the contents of the message make Jonah really very upset. doesn't really like the message. It's a message for him to preach a call to repentance for the Assyrians who live in Nineveh. question is, before we give Jonah a bad rap, do you ever struggle with presenting God's message to people around us? let alone to those who are diametrically opposed to the gospel? Ever God say to you, you know, you need to share your faith or your testimony with your coworker, or with your neighbor, with people around you, and go like, yeah, but. Why do we stall like that? Oh, they, they might not like us. They think I'm some religious quacker nut or something like that. But if the gospel is truly the message of God, for a lost and dying world, why are we so afraid to share that message? Jonah knew the message. He preached the message, but he didn't like who it was going to go to. Uh, the answer is we've all struggled. Why do I bring this up? Because I think we can also be very judgmental of Jonah's unwillingness to share the message of God with those around him. And frankly, we're all in the same boat. We've all heard God's word proclaimed to us with a challenge to share the gospel, the good news with everyone. Yet, having heard that, how have we responded to that challenge to share what God's doing in your life? Uh, a little bit about Jonah here. Jonah was a son of a Midai, the prophet, a native of Gath, Heper. I haven't heard of that town before. 
a Galilean village a little north of the town of Nazareth. He, uh, he's an experienced prophet. In 2 Kings 14, 23 to 27, Jonah spoke of it in his prophetic role with King Jeroboam, a king of Israel who ruled from Samaria. He's a contemporary of Elijah and Elisha. If you don't know your Bible, you need to read up about those prophets. He also knew Joel and Amos quite well in their prophecies. Jonah is a man on a mission. He spoke to kings. He challenged them. This is what God says, and you know you need to get on track. And so, as a prophet, he knows what it's to be sent out by God and to share the message. And yet, in verse 2, we read these words. Jonah 1, 2, here's what God says to Jonah. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Not a popular message, is it? You like God saying, you know what? If you were uh, prior to World War II... Yeah, well, you know what? I want you to go to Germany and speak to Hitler. I don't like what he's doing with the Jewish people. Would you go to his court and tell him that I don't really like what he's doing and that he needs to repent? How many of you say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there. Yep. That, in a small sense, is the task that God is giving to Jonah. The command here, go, is not an option. It's an imperative command in Scripture. God's saying, Jonah, go. And the expectation is, this is a direct command, do it. And yet that same command is found for us in Matthew 28, 19, where it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, and bringing, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The message to those of us who know Christ is this, we're to Go. Same thing with Jonah. He says, the great city of Nineveh. Let, let me give you a little picture of what Nineveh was like. It's mentioned two more times in some of the, uh, the Lord's messages to Jonah in this passage. Nineveh is described as huge, taking three days to walk across, and thoroughly evil. Jonah 4, verse 11 says there are approximately 120,000 people in this city. And this is a job for how many people? One man on a mission from, from God, and God says, I want you to preach to the city. You need to tell them to repent. Jonah gives no specific about the city's evil beyond the king's command that the citizens turn away from the violence that is in their hands in Jonah 3.8. Jonah's Nineveh, however, is thematically connected to Sodom, another biblical city of evil found in Genesis 18 and 19. God tells Abraham that the outcry... Against Sodom is such that he needs to go down to investigate. Similarly, God sends Nineveh to the great city telling him that evil has come up before him. Genesis 19.25 describes God's destruction of Sodom using a term usually translated as overthrow. The same term Jonah uses in his prophetic preaching to Nineveh. What I get from that is that, number one, God still sees what we're doing. You say, well, is that a revelation? Yeah. Because sometimes I think people today live their lives in such a way as they think God doesn't seem to either see what I'm doing or he really doesn't care. 
Because as we look at this world today, the evidence of wickedness is incessant everywhere we go. And it gets worse and worse. And the more you study the news, read the papers, read the magazines. I mean, uh, Rose and I were talking this week. We are reading uh, the whole what's happening in Venezuela. Anybody up to speed what's happening in Venezuela? And what's happening is because of the impoverishment and the uh, pull of the Marxist government that's there, people are fleeing Venezuela into Colombia. The women are cutting their hair off to make money to feed their kids because there's no money for food. Uh, they're selling their bodies. They're selling whatever they can. And they're rushing by the hundreds of thousands across the border into Colombia to flee the persecution and violence in their own country. That's just one small, that's happening right now. And I could tell you more stories. But the thing is, somebody says, does God really care? The answer is God does. Does he see the wickedness? Yes, he does. And even as in Noah's day, when God saw the wickedness and violence, he says this, judgment day is coming. But he backs up a little bit. Because sometimes we say, you know, when you see this wickedness and violence, you say, oh, God, do something. You know, take them to task, do this. But God doesn't do that. You know what he does? He sends a prophet. He sends a Christian. He sends a believer. And he says, first, you need to repent from your sin. And God is always a God who wants to redeem lost, depraved, wicked people even from their sin before judgment. And therein we see the great mercy of God who seeks to redeem people who are lost in their condition. And he uses the message of the gospel to do that. So, Jonah hears God's concern. He doesn't like it. Why doesn't he like it? Jonah's a prophet that we know about from 2 Kings 14. He's preached about the destruction of Israel's enemies, but he also knows from Joel and Amos that God's going to use a great big foreign army to, in a sense, come into Israel and bring Israel to its knees so that they will turn to God. And God, and, and he's aware that Jonah is, that through the prophecies of Joel and Amos, that eventually God's going to use Assyria to bring his people to their knees so they turn back to God. Does he like that? No, he doesn't. Uh, Jonah's preached hard in favor of expanding Israel's boundaries. He's out there preaching against four nations that would have anything to do with God's people, Israel. He loves God's people. He, he doesn't want them to be hurt. They're being hurt and threatened by a huge power like the Assyrians and by some people that he preached against while in Damascus. So he doesn't want God now saying to him, guess what, I want you to preach to these people that are hurting the nation of Israel and I want you to come across with a ministry of compassion to these Assyrians because they really need the gospel. Why would he hate the Assyrians so much? Let me give you another story. The entire history of Assyria is, uh, our, where we're talking about the Assyrians that are living in Nineveh, and Nineveh is a stone throw from the modern-day city of Mosul. If you look on your maps, your world maps in Iraq. The entire history of Assyria is filled with a reign of violence, terror, torture, killing conquered peoples, and they privately carried home parts of their enemies, leaders' bodies as souvenirs of war. 
they would actually flay the bodies, skin them alive, put them on poles in front of their cities and towns just to celebrate their victories. They would usually bring the severed head of a recently conquered king home, raised on a pole in the midst of the royal banquet, commemorating the victory, and finally put it over the gate of Nineveh where it slowly rotted away as a reminder, don't mess with us or we're going to get you. The opposing generals got worse treatment. The Elamite general, Dananu, was flayed alive, bled like a lamb. His brother had his throat cut. His body, I could go on and tell about the gore. This is better than a World War II movie. Um, and I could talk about Ashurbanal, the Assyrian king, and some of the things they did and the cruelty that they used against those who come against them was so extreme, so bloody, so extravagant that everybody feared the Assyrians because if you fall in their hands, you're not getting out alive. So what's Jonah's response to bringing the good news of repentance to these people who are such depraved people who, who just love to make mincemeat of people around them? Well, what's his response? The Bible says in Jonah 1 verse 3, this, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed from Tarshish to flee from the Lord. What was Jonah's words? Run, baby, run. You're probably thinking to yourself, wow, is he dumb? Running away from the Lord, is that ever dumb? Really? Uh, but actually, he's, he's in good company. Remember the story? Genesis 3.8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. I could tell you lots more stories. I would just get them going here. His flight is not so much an attempt to escape from God, but he doesn't want to obey the Word of God. See, to run away from God never works. It rather exposes a heart that is opposed to God's direction in one's life. Jonah can no more escape obedience to God's word than he can escape the omnipresence of God. God's everywhere. You can't run from God. So Jonah heads to Tarshish in the opposite direction from Nineveh in the Mediterranean instead of Mesopotamia. Unlike Nineveh, Tarshish is a city known for its wealth, not its power. Jonah has no intention of preaching the message God said to him, go and preach the message. I'm not doing this, Lord. Jonah thinks, I can run from the Lord. Truth is, everyone runs from God for various reasons. They try to run from his presence, like hiding from God. They run away from their calling or mission, a desire because they say, I want to do my own thing. I don't want to do what God wants in my life. I'm going to do my own thing and I'll be okay. They run from accountability to God. Listen, I'm not going to answer to God for what I'm doing, so therefore I'm going to imagine in my own mind he doesn't exist. And the desire to escape God's judgment, to mark my words, there is no escaping God. The reality of the situation is that people panic when they don't like something about God or something read in Scripture, 
and they run away. But yet God has a mission for all people, doesn't he? God has a mission for every one of us. The question is, has God ever spoken to you about what he wants you to do? And you've run away from it? Hands? See, God's in the business of working in all of our lives. And he challenges and searches situations and, and circumstances. And you've understood through the indwelling power of the Spirit of God in your life that what you're about to do is not what God wants you to do, but you're saying, you know what? I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to do my own thing. And you are running from God. Now, you thought Jonah running from God was stupid, right? That was foolish. I'm going to tell you, when you and I run away from God, it's dumb and foolish as well. Because the truth is, every one of us, at one point or another, have run from what God wants us to do in our lives. Because we think we've got a better idea. Or we don't like God's ways. And so we pick and choose as to what we want to obey and what we don't want to obey. But yet, maybe it's time to turn back and say, God, forgive me and use me as you see fit. Because when a man runs from God, there are always, hear me loud and clear, consequences. Nobody ever talks about that. Because how many times have you, you, you met people that used to go to church, used to follow God, used to, used to, used to, and they say, well, I used to do it, but I'm kind of living my own life now. And you'll hear these words, I don't need church. But what they're really saying is, I don't need God. They just don't want to say that because that doesn't, that doesn't sound very good. For a man or woman to say, I don't need God. What, what people usually want is they, they want God on their terms. I want a God that I can make with my own hands and, and I can design and pick and choose what I want about God and not what God fully reveals in Scripture. So we run from God. But yet, Jonah tries to run from God. You and I have run from God. People run from God. And I like to use this phrase always, when I meet people that have run from God, is it working for you? And see, what people try to do when people run from God is they, they, they try to fill their lives with all kinds of things and stuff and whatever in the process of trying to fill the emptiness that is in their lives because when you walk away from God, your life is empty. There are times in your life when you run from God and you fill your life with, with situations and circumstances with different kinds of people. There's a sense that there, there's a lull. You, you, there's a sort of a semi-satisfaction there because if sin wasn't wonderful and beautiful, you wouldn't do it. But what you don't realize is that there's always consequences. Just like when Adam, the Bible doesn't say it was an apple, but anybody bites that apple, there's an awareness, oh boy, what did I just do? And for Jonah, he knows God. He's lived for God. He's spoken for God. 
but he's running away because he wasn't doesn't want to deliver the message. That God says, "I got a message for you. You got to you got to do this." And the thing is, what would you say to Jonah? What would you say to Jonah? Jonah, you're really being dumb. Jonah, you're in for a whale of a time. That's next week's message. But yet, when I think about it, we have to sometimes just take time to just examine our own heart and say, is there any area in my life as I approach 2019 that I can look back in 2018 and say, Lord, I'm not following you the way I should. Because either you're walking with God this way. Okay, got it? You're walking with him. There's no place, what we call it, you know, Switzerland, neutrality. Where I just stand there and do nothing. No, you're either walking with him or you're walking away from him. And God says, I want you to walk with me. And so somebody says, um, what happens if I keep walking my way and doing my own thing? I'm walking away from God. Well, if you look at verse 4, it says, God sent a storm. Oh. So what we forget in terms of the sovereignty of God is that the God who spoke universe, the universe into existence controls everything that happens. I mean everything. And so you can say, I can run from God, but God says, you can run, but I'm going to send a storm. And that storm can bring you to your knees. And so somebody says, well, that's not a very wonderful message. But I think to myself, how many times as a father in raising sons, sorry, I don't have any daughters, ladies, small challenge. Have I sought to raise my sons that God has blessed me with in the right way, but seen them walking away from God in the wrong way? And sometimes had to allow the challenges happen in their lives so they would come back. Do I want to see my children make those mistakes? The answer is no, I don't. I wish I could protect them from them because I don't want to see that happen. Because God knows better. However, the children don't think so. And so we go in our own direction and the storms happen. And the storms are intended to bring you to a point of repentance. Say, oh God, I'm sorry, I'm walking in my own strength. I'm walking in my own way. And Lord, I need to return to you and start walking in sync with you. Because Lord, your way is always best. And the question comes down to this, is this. Will I submit to the authority of God in my life. And my friend, I need to tell you that to submit to the authority of God is something you need to do every single day. But the human heart is hard. The story of Jonah is about a prophet with a hardened heart that needs to be softened by God so that he will obey God's calling and commission on his life. 
So it's time to say no to what you want and ask God to direct you in the way that he wants. And when he does that, he wants to have his way in your life. And so my challenge to you today is, are you walking with God? Or are you running the opposite way? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to our hearts. And Father, I just pray today that as we look at the story of Jonah, Lord, we've, we've all at one point or another run away from wanting you in our lives. We wanted to run our own lives. We kind of like it that way. But yet, Lord, when we walk away from you, and we don't listen to you, there are storms, there are consequences. So, Father, I pray for everyone here this morning. I, I pray, Father, that for anyone that may be struggling in their walk with you, that, Lord, right, right now, they, they would just bow the knee and say, Lord, have your way in my life. Have your way. Lord, it's not just about starting a new year, but, Lord, seeking to walk with you step by step, all day, every day, in and out. Oh God, how we need you in our lives and how we want what is best according to what the Father determines. So Father, help us to humbly submit ourselves and say, yes, Lord, I will walk with you. I'll not run from you. And if we run from you, Father, help us just confess it right now and say, Lord, forgive me and help me to walk and step with you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.